This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. And welcome back to Vancouver Consumer. In just a few moments, John Carlson will return with a fresh look at Metro Vancouver real estate and lots more on the 1% Realty story. But first, here are some more of the top consumer stories we're watching this week. Over the two-day blowout Amazon Prime Day sale this week, retailers with annual revenues over a billion dollars saw their sales increase an average of 72% compared to an average week. According to Adobe Analytics Tuesday, the second day of the sale became the fourth day outside of the holiday season to surpass $2 billion in online sales. Still unclear how much money both days pulled in. Companies using a strong email strategy saw their sales climb 54% compared to 29% at other companies. Electronics saw some of the biggest discounts on Tuesday, up to 20% off smartphones and smartwatches. On Wednesday, the company said it was the largest shopping event in Amazon history history, with sales surpassing those of Cyber Monday and Black Friday combined. A record number of people shopped during Prime Day in the U.S. Amazon customers in total worldwide purchased more than 175 million items through the event. The company also said more new Prime members joined on July 15th than any other previous day. The city of Vancouver has approved new rules about when and where people can park car share vehicles. Now, one part that may stand out to most users of services like ShareNow or Car2Go or Evo is a provision allowing vehicles to be dropped in a metered parking space at the end of a trip. The cost of the parking will be borne by the car share companies, not the driver. The city estimates this could actually net the municipality an additional two hundred grand in revenue per year. The rule changes would also allow car share drivers who are taking a multi-stop trip to park for up to two hours at a meter for free. And in a bid to push fleet towards electric vehicles, the cities will also waive the annual $77 per vehicle parking fee if changes uh, car share companies if the vehicles are zero emission. A final element of the rule changes will see the city charge car share companies a flat fee to reserve permanent parking spaces for their vehicles in spaces that would normally be occupied by meters. It's still not clear when all of these new rules will kick in. Volvo Cars, the Swedish luxury brand now owned by China's Geely, defied a slowing global auto market to set a record for sales in the first half of this year. Although U.S. trade war tariffs and falling prices did pinch the profit picture a little, the 7.3% year-on-year jump to a record over 340,000 cars during the first half of the year was accompanied by a 6% rise in sales revenue. At a time when most markets in the world are seeing stagnating car sales, we've had strong growth in the first half, says Volvo's CEO. But increased pricing pressures and tariffs squeezed operating profit, and he added the company has introduced cost controls that should be felt in the second half of this year. Now, last year, Volvo cars bought by Geely from Ford in 2010 set an annual sales record of more than 600,000 vehicles, although profits were already already rather feeling the effects of the U.S. trade war with China and the EU. We've been reporting on the big move to light trucks and SUVs worldwide away from cars, and Volvo just continues to buck that trend. 
With summer not even half over, the B.C. Conservation Officer Service is reporting a surge in sightings of bears here on the Lower Mainland. Inspector Murray Smith with the Officer Service says the officials have already received 3,200 reports of bears in the region since April. And by comparison, they received 4,500 for the entire season last year. Quote, so we're closing in on that number of bears we had reports for all of last year already. With the increase of sightings has come an increase in the number of aggressive or human habituated bears the service has been forced to destroy. However, conservation has uh, officers uh, put down 51 bears this year compared to 81 last year, but that represents less than 0.505% of the bears uh, cited. So we do everything we can not to destroy bears, but you know we have to protect public safety, say the conservation officers. It's not clear exactly what's behind the increased number of sightings lately. It could have to do with bear population numbers or climate factors and the availability of natural food. But it's also another reminder for us in urban areas to make sure the trash is secure and the fruit trees aren't tempting the animals. A little homework goes an awfully long way. Those are some more of the week's top consumer stories. We'll check on a few more later on, but coming right up, Johnny 1%. John Carlson is back with a Metro Vancouver real estate update. Next, right here on Vancouver Consumer on CKNW. Welcome back to Vancouver Consumer this Saturday afternoon here on CKNW. I'm Sterling Fox, back after our brief but fun summer break. Joined in studio by John Carlson, Personal Real Estate Corporation. Johnny 1% is back in the house. Hello, John. Hey, great to be here again, Sterling. Thank you. Good to have you with us. Uh, Let's get right to the the nuts and bolts of your regular visits on the program. Let's get the latest on Metro Vancouver Real Estate. It's, It's being a very interesting summer, not the most active summer summer ever, but perhaps more active than some people are expecting. Yeah, the market is, uh, you know, it's it's interesting because even in the business myself, I'll often hear news reports about this and the Canadian market and the BC market, the Vancouver market, the Fraser Valley market, it's up, it's down. It's Sometimes it's hard to sort through. Sure. But I think that, um, you know, the statistics and the press has caught on to this that really were an adjustment period, you know, in the market where we had a lot of factors pushing things up. And now that some of those factors have receded and the things have changed, buyers are kind of weighing their options and they're being cautious and the sales numbers are not what they were in the high times. I mean, we're looking at sales figures depending on the area and the segment that might be down 40% from last year or the year before when things were happening. So it's not, again, not like real estate's going out of style and nobody's interested in living in Greater Vancouver or the Fraser Valley. Right. It's just that buyers are a little bit more selective, and I think they're looking at the thing saying, the market saying, hey, if this is going to adjust, then time is on my side, and I don't have to rush. And so we're still seeing some lower numbers. You know, between you and me and the listeners out there, I found that in May and June, you know, it was pretty disappointing. I mean, phone's not ringing a lot. Uh, The showings are here and there, but the feedback is like, you know, hey, you know, it's a good listing, but yeah, you know, we're looking at some other ones as well, Mm -hmm. and we're going to take our time. And I can't blame anybody, you know, for taking their time to buy. But, uh, you know, I found that, just personally and anecdotally talking to some other agents, uh, because I've had a couple of clients who have been doing deals recently since this long weekend, the Canada Day weekend ended. I'm finding that, you know, talking to some other agents and myself, the phone seems to be ringing a little bit more than it was. I'm, I'm you know, anticipating that the rest of July and August will probably have some decent activity. And again, this is just my thoughts on it. But again, anecdotally, mm-hmm. I have a couple of clients who have been very good clients of mine I've worked with before. And 
And, uh, you know, one of them in particular, I worked with, uh, with him, Cam, when he sold his place in Langley back in the fall. And, and Cam was kind of saying to me, you know, John, I know the market's poised to drop. I'm not in a hurry. Right. I've got a place to be. Let's take our time and we'll really get a good spot. So sure enough, you know, the rest of the fall, we looked around a little bit. Things came down. Prices adjusted. And he's looking at, you know, townhomes with some size. And he was out in Maple Ridge and Langley areas and those sorts of things. But just to give you an idea, I mean, I think this is kind of typical of, you know, a certain segment of potential buyers out there. Cam would say to me, you know, John, I sold at a good time. The market's dropped. Will it drop a little bit more? It might. But, you know, I want to get on with my life. Interest rates are still low. And so we looked around. Now, we still were very value conscious. And he found a place that he liked and he got the right price on it. And he negotiated a great deal. But I, my theory here is that, you know, people are waiting to see what happens to the market. But people don't stay away forever. Right. And I think that... Uh, from what I can tell, certain people want to be in by school or by the winter and that sort of thing. So there is a pulse out there. Don't you know? read the papers and think, oh my goodness, and this real estate market's crashing because I don't believe anything like that is happening. Right. But in this adjustment period, know as the buyer, everything's on your side. Take your time. If you find the great place and you can negotiate a great deal that makes you feel happy, wonderful. If not, there's new listings coming up all the time. And the reason that you're anticipating an increased level of activity for the balance of this month and next is because of the uh, lack of activity at the opening parts of the summer. So a lot of people have been sitting on the sidelines, but ultimately, when push comes to shove, as your client friend told you just a few days ago, got to get on with my life here. Can't wait for the perfect moment. Going to get as close as I can, but it's time to get rolling. And I suspect more than a few people are in that situation. They're trying to wait the market out. But as you've mentioned dozens of times on this program, timing the market market is not an exact science and can be kind of dangerous. It can be. And it it also just gets frustrating. You know, I think people, the sky didn't fall. Yes, the market is adjusting, but people kind of, you know, people want to get back to their routines and I don't blame them. So we are seeing uh, fewer sales than we had in the hot times. Right. And what I am seeing, like back to Cam, just so the listeners out there understand, it's not like he just went out there and said, okay, I'm going to buy a place. I mean, we looked and we found what we thought was the right place at the right deal. And then there was some negotiating going on. So we still, you know, had to work at it. But hey, you know, there's a lot of sellers out there who have been on the market a little while and mm-hmm. they're maybe unsure about their pricing and, you know, price reductions are happening. So it pays to keep your eyes open, and if you find the right place, why not? When we first started doing this program, and you became a regular guest over well over a year, year and a half ago now, the challenge for a realtor like yourself was finding listings. There were just so few of them at the time. Now, 18 or more months later, that's not the case anymore. Or is it? I haven't, I've been away for a couple of weeks. Catch me up here. Uh, are there lots more listings than we're accustomed to, or is it about average? Well, the number of available listings in most segments is up compared to the high times because it was almost almost like water evaporating in the desert. Sure, you know, right. New listings hit and boom, there it's gone. They're gone, yeah. So things are accumulating a little bit. Um, so yeah, there's there's more choice out there. Absolutely, the the market continues to adjust and grow, and the listings have piled up a little bit. But again, certain segments, affordable townhomes in certain areas, properties that have brought their prices down to a very attractive level. You know, these properties are getting in action and and, and selling. But you know, there is more to choose from as 
a buyer, and uh, you know why not take advantage of that? Absolutely. Now let's talk prices for a little bit, John, because it's all part of the package, and uh, we've seen definitely. Of course, we've talked about this in the past. Places like West Vancouver, where a twenty-four million dollar home has come down to seventeen million. I mean, it's still absurd for most of us. It's right. insane money, but that's an enormous price reduction on that value of that property. Now uh, we're not seeing that kind of sharp drop in other parts of Metro Vancouver, but are prices still continuing to come off? Have we hit a plateau? What's the status these days? Again, it depends on the segment, but yes, I'd say in general, the most segments are continuing to soften a bit. And by that, I mean, uh, you know, new listings are hitting, but they're not necessarily selling right away. And some of them may reduce prices in order to sell. And then the new listings are coming on and they're reflecting these newer, somewhat lower prices than maybe the neighbors sold for last year. And, uh, you know, so price reductions are out there. And as long as the ratios favor buyers over sellers, sellers, as long as sellers are in a position where they feel they have to compete for the next available buyer, then prices are likely to continue to soften a little bit. But I can tell you, like some sellers... I mean, in some of these more competitive segments, affordable townhomes, affordable Mm -hmm. condos, where people are really looking for something good. And, you know, they're not multimillionaires. They have a job and, you know, maybe they're a couple with a job and they need something affordable. These properties are still pretty active because there's a lot of potential buyers who are in that pool of affordability. And, uh, you know, the sales are still happening relatively well. But, you know, any, any seller right now, if you've been on the market 30 days, it's not that uncommon. People are kind of wondering, you know, people are unsure about that. Is sure. my price good? Is, yep. is uh, you know, and I'm telling my sellers, even if your price is good, somebody might still offer you 50 grand under or, or you still have to defend that price in this kind of market. So again, that's why I think good representation is so important because a lot of people are unsure. Hey, I'm not sure where the prices are today. I'm not sure where they're going to be tomorrow. Right. I'm a buyer. I'm going to write an offer that I can't lose at. I'm going to throw this offer there. Well, I think a, a part of my job as a seller's agent working with the sellers is to try to show, demonstrate the value and why people might want to consider paying the price or close to it that we're asking. So again, good representation in a market like this where people are a little bit up in the air in terms of where prices are is very important. Well, the voice of experience, absolutely, John. But just a curiosity question, uh, as you were talking about buyers kind of playing the field and, and throwing out low ball offers deliberately to see if the you know, just testing Sometimes. the water, so to speak. Yep. Is that more common? Uh, Because you were talking earlier about uh, a new listing would last sometimes less than an hour on the market. You never had a chance to really even show it to too many people. It was there and it was snapped up in a heartbeat. It's the opposite now. uh, Properties stay on market for a longer time. So is that the case now? Yes and no. I mean, it's it's interesting. This reminds me. uh, Just a couple days ago, I met a young family with a townhouse. And uh, this is in Surrey. And it was interesting because when we looked, there were a lot of listings on the market in, in their general price range, mm-hmm. you know, 50000 up or down on, on either way. But when you looked at what had actually sold in the last two, three months, not as many as you might expect in the past, but it's interesting that those listings that did sell, they sold relatively quickly. So, for instance, you might have a theoretical uh, $700,000 townhouse in Port Coquitlam. Okay. And uh, let's say it's listed around 700 and the listings have been 720, 730 in the past. Well, somebody lists at 679 and they get sold right away. 
And then maybe, so what I'm seeing is listings, some of them that are selling within a week or three weeks, because they're hitting the market with a price that buyers say, hey, you know, this this seller has thought about this. They've adjusted. I'm not worried about overpaying because there's an attractive listing. And buyers being comparison shoppers, that's what they're focused on. Value is so key right now. I mean, it's everywhere, you know, on this radio program and in the newspapers. Buyers are being told, be careful. The market is not what it was. And you can get more for your money now than you could before. So... A good agent, I think, is telling people the same thing. So how about pricing, John? Because that's the other half of the equation, again, where the voice of experience is critical. Playing the market, playing the real estate game these days, you're playing a much different game than we talked about on this program a summer ago. It's a different ballpark and a different game. Same uh, same rules apply, but numbers are all different. So in terms of, of pricing your property at an attractive uh, today's attractive numbers. Uh, how recently uh, should you have had a price update, an evaluation, given the changing nature of the marketplace? How frequently, let me put it that way, how frequently sure. should you have your price, your current price reviewed? Well, if you're ready to maybe go on the market and then it's been a couple of weeks or a month, you I always update my evaluation again. If I've talked to somebody last month and they want to meet or two weeks ago, I want to know what's been going on since we, we last talked because right. there could be some new sales or listings that might be competition. But And I guess each agent might handle it differently. But again, certain things are a little uncertain. A price might look good this week, but three weeks later, a couple of your competition may have adjusted. And mm-hmm. so what I tell people is I say, here, I am one person. I can give you my opinion. I'm not the market. Number I tell you doesn't you know, I don't decide it's what I'm selling for. Stone. That's right. But a good agent should know the conditions, what's going on well enough to give you good advice and pricing. Right. So I generally come with an, a range, a relatively tight range. I say, hey, you know, on the low end of the range, this is probably pretty sharp and this is what you might expect. On the high end of the range, we might have to keep a bit of an open mind. And then, you know, I let the client decide. But what I do tell them, I say, look, I'm one person. I'm going to give you the best advice I can. But what really matters is these first two or three weeks of the listing. Are we getting lots of showings? Because if you're not getting any showings, Maybe buyers aren't, they're looking at what you're putting forward. They're looking at the price and they're going, well, maybe not. So that would be not the best thing. Right. Or maybe you get a whole bunch of showings and no offers. Well, that might mean that people are interested in properties in that price range, but they're not... You're not going for yours. They're going for other properties. So that might mean that we have to maybe think about adjusting the price. Hey, let's look at our competition. What are these people buying? So whereas when the market was hot, I'd kind of give an idea and throw a number and say, hey, let's pick a strategy here. Now I'm giving some numbers and I'm saying, let's keep an open mind because this is what I would do if I were you. And if we have to adjust, let's keep looking, you know, month after or week after week after week, we want to see what our competition's doing. We want to make sure we're in a success zone. Even if you're in the success zone, I tell my clients, don't expect an offer on day one. In fact, you might get a lowball offer. It might be another week or two before you get another one. But if we're in that success zone where we're one of the better listings in that price range, we're getting showings and the feedback is, you know, is positive that people are asking, you know, is this included or what kind of dates do your sellers want? They're showing interest. That's the success zone. So you got to modify. You might position one day and have to look at that again a couple of weeks or a month down the road. Uh, but, you know, don't overshoot the market and tra- chase it down because that can be another mistake people make. Solid advice from the voice of experience. No coincidence at all that Mr. Carlson is a member once again of the President's Club. The top 1% of all realtors in Metro Vancouver and the Fraser Valley made that uh, club and uh, merit for 2018 in addition to previous years as well. Johnny1percent.ca is the website. All sorts of terrific 
useful information. And we'll talk money and the 1% realty story, the whole story, when we continue with John Carlson on Vancouver Consumer, right here on CKNW. And welcome back to Vancouver Consumer here on CKNW on a Saturday afternoon. I'm Sterling Fox. In studio with me, John Carlson, Johnny 1% from 1% Realty, and of course, Johnny1%.ca, the website. And John, I'm just looking through the website and all of the services offered, market presence, showing and selling, negotiating and closing, something that is really tricky. It's always tricky negotiating and closing in any uh, sales transaction, sure. but in today's rapidly changing real estate landscape, it's really devilishly tricky some days, isn't it? Well, yeah, I I, I suppose it can be because, as they say, the devil is in the details. Yes. And your job, my job, is to make sure those details are are, are right for my client. You know, I always have a duty of care to be ethical with other agents and other people that are not my clients, but really I work for my client. When I'm a listing agent, I work to help them sell the property. So, you know, getting the details right is really, I guess, the crux of my job. And uh, again, I'm going back to johnny1percent.ca. Yes, we are regular, your quotes, not mine, real estate agents. In every sense of the word, we simply charge less. Right. That's it. End of story. Though not all commissions are the same, the prevailing rate within the Lower Mainland is 7% of the first 100000 of the sale price and 2.5% of the balance. This can add up fast. Those are the numbers that we are most familiar with sure. as uh, customers of the real estate business in Metro Vancouver. The big difference between those numbers and your numbers, well, it's not, not too difficult to do the math, at 1% versus those other numbers, you always come in lower. Well, yes, uh, and that's part of the part of the big, uh, you know, attraction of working with me, I, I suppose, or with other agents from my company. Uh, people will often, like for instance, I got a call the other day. I'm going to meet these people this weekend. They had their house on the market with another agent. They called me up, and well, you know, we're expiring at the end of this week, right. and we want to talk to other agents. And you know, uh, we hear that we're probably going to have to bring our price down, but we only bought the property a few years ago, and we need money to buy our next property. So, mm-hmm. you know, John, hopefully you're as good as I heard you were because we want you to save us that extra ten or twenty thousand dollars. Okay, and it's important. I mean, that's that's great. So that's one of the the lures. I mean, of going with one percent realty. People are always a little bit skeptical. Gee, like how can you do this? Or you know, I've heard that maybe one percent realtors might not be very good because why would they work for so much less money? Well, and that's a whole other conversation. I do a very good business. I do a lot of volume, but my focus is always the same. I'll tell people my job is to do a good job for you first and foremost and provide you know the right advice and service that gets the job done. Because if I wasn't good at those things, I could do it for free and I wouldn't be worth it, if you know what I mean. So I that's, that's the foundation, is to make sure that everything is solid, it's all done properly, the advice is good, the service is good, because the result is important. Uh, but on the way, I'm also, you know, saving people money. And I found that especially maybe since we've been doing this show and, you know, and, and talking to people out there in the public who are listening on a regular basis, there's people out there who listen to a lot of these shows. For I found. which Ben and I are always very grateful. Yes. And you guys do a great job setting me up and make me look good, I'm sure. But, um, you know, a lot of people are saying, now, you know, John, I, I, I like the idea of saving that money, but what I really want is I want a professional. It sounds yeah. like you know what you're doing. And, uh, you know, they invite me over. They want to know if they can trust me and what I, you know, what I know. And so I'm an open book with them. We talk talk about agency, we set the stage, and then I just 
tell them anything that I can and answer their questions. Um, so back to the 1% realty thing, the commission is not something I ever think about uh, because it's my standard business model and sure. that's wonderful. Right. But other agents who are used to maybe taking listings and offering more commission uh, will sometimes call me and say, hey, John, you know, I'm looking at this listing. It looks pretty good. And uh, I think my client would really like it. Uh, you know, but your commission is half of what you know, I would usually collect or some less than half of what I would usually collect. Right. So agents, of course, they want to get paid. Nothing wrong with that. Of course. Agents also have a fiduciary duty to their clients to show them all available properties that meet their descriptions and work for them and put the buyer's interests ahead of their own. Mm -hmm. So there's nothing unethical about it, but agents will often say to me, hey, John, would your sellers pay me my full commission or even though there really is no such thing as a full, but my typical commission. Right. So sometimes, and I've told people this when we meet, when I get an offer in from another company, Sometimes they ask to modify the commission. We might be offering $5,000 commission and they might say, hey, you know, this would be closer to ten dollars or $15,000 if it were through a company like this. And I just say, hey, go ahead and show the property and bring an offer. Everything's negotiable. Sure. Now, when that offer comes in, a buyer, a seller, I should say, my client might look at it and say, okay, hey, I like this. Let's look at the merits. Look at these conditions. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's make sure we're not hanging ourselves out here to dry with conditions that don't serve our purposes. Let's make sure deposits are good and all this is drafted well. But then when it comes to the commission, I mean, buyers, uh, my sellers might say, hey, you know, what's this about? And I explain to them that everything's negotiable, but you, the seller, are in the driver's seat. Absolutely. It's your house. Mm -hmm. It's your money. A buyer is already three quarters of the way in the bag, if you will, because they like your property. They like the terms enough that they want to negotiate price and stuff. Right. If we can get those terms together, great. Most of the time, buyers don't care that much about commissions. So sometimes a request comes in and sometimes my sellers say, hey, you know what? This offer is pretty good. If they bump the price up $10,000, I'm happy to accept these terms. I'll pay them the commission they've asked for, uh, which might be more than we've advertised. But on the other, on the listing side, on your side, John, you're still half a percent plus sure. your fees. So I'm still saving whatever it might be, six or whatever, thousand, $10,000. So again, this is something that a good experienced agent helps people walk through, helps them understand what their leverage situation is and what their options might be and tries to give them good advice. But I can tell you that most of the time, uh, there's a request for extra commission. Um, a seller's not keen on paying it and uh, a counter offer with a commission uh, with that scratched out perhaps or modified or increased a little bit in a negotiation, that may happen. So everything being negotiable, uh, you know, commissions can be negotiable. Sure, but one absolutely. thing I tell my sellers, what I don't do is I don't throw you on MLS with a commission of seven and two and a half and just say, hey, go at it. We position properly. We market properly. The commission structure is what it is. And if someone wants to negotiate it, I bring that offer to the client, my seller, and I say, hey, what should we do? Oh, let's take a look at some of the numbers. And uh, this is this is a very easily obtainable information too. It's right halfway down the homepage of John's website, johnny1percent.ca. There's a grid and there are several columns. One, your property and the value. And we'll take a typical Metro Vancouver million-dollar property. And that is pretty typical these days. So a million-dollar property. The next column is the uh, money in commission you would pay on the sale of your million-dollar home to the 1% realty agent, like John Carlson. That will amount to 10950 bucks. Most other brokers on the same deal will charge you 29500 The most important column on this little grid on the homepage is the final column, and that's savings, money you actually keep. And in the case of a million-dollar property, the difference between having John Carlson in your corner and most other brokers is $18,550, your money you get to hang on to for 
Well, among other things, moving, because, John, I've never made a move yet that didn't cost a whole lot more than I thought it was going to. True. Yeah. It's always more work and more money than you think to move. And just that extra scratch around at moving time, because there's just always so many details to attend to. It's valuable stuff, and it's right there, friends, at johnny1percent.ca, along with the phone number and the the button you can click for an an evaluation. All of this stuff right on the website. But I urge you to just have a look at the grid. It's right there as plain as the nose on your face. And the numbers, John, speak for themselves. They speak volumes. However, even though they do speak volumes, they do provoke questions. And I'm sure most interviews that you go to, based on people hearing you on the radio, etc., people put you through the same series of questions, Mm -hmm. beginning with, um, okay, so I'm going to pay you less. My well-educated consumer brain tells me I must be getting something less. And that's where they start. So what do I forfeit here here in this deal by paying you a a lower rate of commission? Well put. And that is what I hear quite a bit. And here's how I reply to that. First of all, when it comes to a commission, whether it's any other company or my own, there's two parts to it. There's the part that, well, you're paying all of it to your listing agent. And they offer a portion of it, usually about half of it, out to a buyer's agent. So, I mean, you can have a bigger commission, offer out more, or you can offer out less. So everything's negotiable. I find right now the market is kind of uh, slow, right? We talked about Mm -hmm. that. There's not as many deals. I'm finding, traditionally speaking, I found that about one in two of my offers that come in from other companies, the agent likes to see if they can renegotiate a better deal. For instance, I had one in that million-dollar range, not too far away, so we'll use those numbers recently. Um, An offer uh, came in and the fell. It was was an okay offer did not go together. But um, the fella asked for what he thought was his typical commission. And I explained to my sellers, nothing wrong with it. And the mm-hmm. million dollar range is about 13 or 14,000 is what, you know, what the typical portion of the seven and two and a half would be. Okay. Well, we're offering out 5,000. So 13 to 14 and five, that's a big difference sure in that price is. range. And so I explained it to my seller that, you know, hey, here's the deal. But the seller said something interesting. The seller was fine with it as long as we could get the number to where we wanted it. We never did. But she said to me, John, you know what? We did the math. And she said, even if I paid this agent $13,000 and I paid you your half a percent plus nine fifty, that puts me up to around twenty. dollars I'm still saving $9,000 mm-hmm. with your company. And that's real money. Right. And uh, I would suggest, this is just my experience, so take it for what it's worth. But I think with the slower market, I'm finding that it's more than half of the offers I'm getting now. I think that you know agents are not doing as much business and maybe they're a little bit uh, more bold with their client. There's nothing wrong with it to say, hey, you know, Joe, Sally, I've been working with you for a long time. This is the house you want to buy. Yeah. What do you think? Would you let me maybe get paid? I'm used to this. And and some of them say, hey, I don't need that, but you know, negotiate. So again, they may do that, but it comes down to the sellers. Most sellers say, eh, you know, I might be willing to play ball a little bit, but a lot of sellers tell me this, and I'll be careful how I say it. I don't believe in paying those kinds of commissions. Mm-hmm. That's why I hired you. Exactly. So people will say to me, John, hey, I don't want to kill this deal. I'm happy with these people are nice and everything, but I want you to explain to them, I hired you for a reason. I'm open to negotiate, but let these people know that it's not a given. They're going to have to bring a good offer. So again, hey, there's a little more work to do in offers nowadays than there used to be. Uh, but again, that's where some skill and experience comes in handy. Well, experience, that is the key, John. I mean, you've been in this business well over 20 years. You've sold... A thousand houses, if not more. You belong to the President's Club of the top echelon of people in your profession for a number of years. Uh, Experience is key, especially in a a real estate 
marketplace such as ours that has undergone such dramatic changes. We started doing this a year and a half or more ago. It was a very different Metro Vancouver real estate market when we started doing this show than it is today. And the only reason you're still doing this today is because you have you've seen the highs and lows. You've been around the block a few times and know that there are ups and downs in the market. That's constant. And the only way to deal with that is to be able to refer to previous experience going, well, last time this, we did we did this, and we did well. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I, I might still look like a teenager, but, you know, I do have some experience <laughs> behind me. People, well, they'll laugh if they see me, but yeah. So it is good to have some experience and be able to draw on that. And also, you know, experience is one thing, but also your approach as an agent is important. And my approach has always been, I want to provide value, but I'm an open book. Once mm-hmm. that agency agreement is agreed to, I just basically say to people, I'm at your disposal. What do you want to talk about? I'll give you my advice. I'll give you this. You're the boss. You're going to make the decisions about pricing and what we do. But, you know, experience can come in handy, especially when buyers start getting a little bit tricky. And, you know, you have to be careful a little bit with sometimes some of these clauses that they may use in terms of trying to tie a property up for a long time and then renegotiate if they, you know, sometimes in a slower market, if someone gets an offer accepted, they suddenly feel they must have paid too much and suddenly they want to renegotiate it because, hey, if I got it accepted, I've... So there's a lot of little bits to to keep in mind. But of course, my job and the the job of a good agent is to represent the interests of my client. And while giving the best value I can, steer it in the right direction so they can have a result they're happy with. It's I'll not pass, much more I'm sorry, I'll pass along your phone number just a couple of seconds because we're almost done. But before I let you go, I yes. know you've got a two or three new listings that oh, right. we wanted to talk about and we should get them into the into the broadcast. So let, where are we going to yeah, start? Thank Usually you. we're in the valley somewhere. That's where we always start. What have you got for us today? Well, this is interesting. This one you'll find is just hitting MLS now. Okay. So it, it may be on today later. It might be the next day. But this is interesting because this is a prime building lot. Uh, the Seller is a home builder who's well into his retirement age. He had this lot and he always thought he would build for his family. And then he finally figured that really he probably didn't need to do that. So I've got at 3325 Banner Place in Coquitlam, I've got a flat rectangular 6,600 square foot lot. This is an upscale neighborhood. It's a cul-de-sac. Nice homes there. $899. Services are at the lot line. You've got your gas, your sewer, mm-hmm. your water. You could build a beautiful, nice, big frontage home on this lot. So this is a good one. Eight ninety nine for a building lot. It wasn't that long ago that a million plus was a lot exactly, like this. Exactly. You bet. I've also got a listing. Um, here's another new one in Abbotsford. This is cool because it's a rancher with a basement townhouse, semi-detached. It's big. It's 1680 square feet up. It's about the same down. Finished basement. Workshops. 19-foot vaulted ceilings. Double garage, double driveway. So it's one of those where if you all like one level living in a nice private spot, this one's 729.9. It's a beautiful spot. You'll see it on Johnny 1% on my website. You can do a 3D walkthrough tour of this and, and all that sort of stuff. And then I've got one more uh, new listing, number 308-5419-201A Street. Two bedroom, 1,000 square foot condo, two bath, good building, third floor, 368, just listed it. It's a good one. So go to Johnny1% and check them out. Johnny1%.ca. Remember that part too, friends. 604-612-0080. You can give him a call now because he's just been sprung for good behavior. Thanks, John. We'll catch up to you in a couple of weeks. Wonderful. Enjoy the week. I'll see you again. Once again, our thanks to John Carlson for another informative visit. Next week, we'll welcome back Sherry McMillan with news of another Vancouver seminar and lots more useful information on estate planning. Time now for Duly Noted, and this time around, our producer Ben Dooley has a look at a Canadian city ready to accept Bitcoin from taxpayers.
Thanks, Sterling. The city of Richmond Hill is negotiating with the digital currency platform Coinberry to provide a payment processing solution for residents and businesses who wish to pay their property taxes in Bitcoin. On July 10th, Richmond Hill City Council voted in favor of entering into an agreement with Coinberry, the same company that partnered with the town of Innisfil, Ontario, a couple months back for a similar purpose. Here's Carmen Pirelli, Richmond Hill's deputy mayor. From our perspective, there's no risk, there's no cost, and all we're doing is providing an extra level of service. According to Pirelli, the demand for the service by residents wasn't overwhelming, but there were some people that were curious about it. While the cryptocurrency market may fluctuate, Pirelli said that isn't Richmond Hill's concern. Meanwhile, in Innisfil, local mayor Lynn Dolan said there's already been a couple of people who have paid their property taxes in Bitcoin so far. According to Dolan, when a resident pays for property taxes with Bitcoin, it's transferred through Coinberry into Canadian currency and put into the town of Innisfil's bank accounts. I'm Ben Dooley, and that's Dooley Noted. Thanks, Ben. Time for a couple more consumer quickies before we have to go. According to the report from the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives, a wage of $35.43 an hour is required to rent a two-bedroom apartment in our city. Put another way, a person making minimum wage would have to work 112 hours a week to afford that two-bedroom apartment or 84 hours a week for an average one-bedroom. Across the country, the average wage needed to afford a two-bedroom apartment is $22.40 an hour or 2020 for an average one-bedroom, according to the new report that determines the hourly wage a full-time worker must make to be able to rent an average apartment in 795 neighborhoods across the country. When we talk about housing afford the focus is usually on home ownership, says the report's author David McDonald. He said so right here on CKNW on Thursday. However, he also noted that a third of households, or 4.7 million families across the country, rent. Many of these renters, particularly those working at or near minimum wage on fixed incomes or single income households, are at risk of being priced out of modest apartments, no matter where they look. He said, in total, there are only 24 of 795 neighborhoods, or 3% in Canada, where a full-time minimum wage worker can afford to rent an average two-bedroom apartment, and only 70 neighborhoods, or 9%, where that same person can afford a one-bedroom. And moving towards this year's federal election in October, the author said affordability for renters, not just homebuyers, should be top of mind for all political parties. This weekend's festival, at least one of them, at Jericho Beach Park is Vancouver's 42nd annual Folk Music Festival, and the weather is cooperating for a nice change. On stage talent tonight includes Dwayne Dupsey and the Zydeco Hellraisers, along with Montreal's Sam Roberts Band, and closing acts tomorrow will feature David Hidalgo and Steve Dawson, along with the Rebirth Brass Band. Don't forget about all those fun workshops and concerts, too. All the details at 
thefestival.bc.ca. And that is Vancouver Consumer for this week, produced by Ben Dooley. Andrew Ferreira is at the controls. We do appreciate your feedback, and if you have any thoughts about the program or suggestions for guests, please send them along to sterling at cknw.com, or you can tweet us at VanConsumer. And, of course, you can listen to us anytime on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or, frankly, wherever you go to get your favorite podcasts. We're back again next Saturday with Sherry McMillan and lots more on Vancouver Consumer. Please join us then, right here on CKNW. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.